For you are no longer a slave, but a son and an heir of God through Christ. This is OutboundLife.org. 1944 D-Day is about ready to hit. Montgomery has, has rallied the troops of Britain to get ready to launch. And the reason this is important that it's coming from General Montgomery is because Americas didn't hit, feel the effects of what Germany was doing. They saw the potential danger, but they didn't feel the effects of it. Britain lived in the bombings. Britain lived in the effects. Britain was on the verge of being invaded. Britain had a whole different feel to this attack. So Montgomery pulled these 17, 18-year-old young men, and you know what? We're pretty arrogant and cocky when we're 17 and 18 until you're actually facing a real issue. Then we shake. So these 17 and 18-year-old boys, 19-year-old boys are getting rallied. Since 1939, this thing has been on this journey. So now we're pulling everybody we can into these new troops to get ready to land on the biggest invasion that would cost thousands of lives to make one last move to stop this. How do you bring courage to this? Where does courage come from? How do we begin building courage in our life? And that's what we're going to talk about today, courage. Montgomery did something that was very interesting. He gets his troops together. And there's one picture, he's standing on his Jeep and he says this, we've got to go off and do a job together very soon now. You and I, and we must have confidence in one another. And now that I've seen you, I have complete confidence. Complete confidence. Absolute, complete confidence. And you must have confidence in me. And I love what he's doing here. The first thing he's doing is he's recognizing them as individuals. He sees something in them. He can't mandate them to stand up in courage. I can't come to you and say, guys, we need to start being more courageous. Next three weeks is you need to be more courageous and here's how you're going to go do it. You're, you're, it's not going to change anything. Because courage doesn't come from an action. Courage isn't being facing your own fears, even though you will face your fears in courage. It's not facing your fears. You know, I can take a heroin addict, not give them any money, and eventually they'll get a gun. If I put it in front of them, they'll go hold up a, a bank and try to get money. But because they faced their fears didn't make them courageous. If I decide to go into extreme sports and do a triple flip on a motorcycle off something and land with a parachute into a, a thimble of water, <laughs> that's being fearless, but it's not being courageous. There's no bravery in that in the sense that courage comes from an attitude that you're not in self-preservation. That's self-preservation. You're holding your own ego. You're proving you could be something. That is self-validation. So fear, facing fears for self-validation, I think it's important sometimes, but don't, don't confuse it with courage. Courage has a whole different element. Courage comes from the heart. And the word courage actually comes from the French word heart. And it means the seat of your identity. So if that's the seat of who you are, it's something that comes from within. But it's because of what you are that actually causes this courageous action. He goes, Montgomery goes on with his men. He says, we've been fighting the Germans a long time now, a very, very long time. 
a good deal too long. I wish I had a British accent to do this because it would be a whole lot better. I expect, like me, you're beginning to get a bit tired of it, beginning to feel it's about time we finish things off. Now, I love what he does. The first thing he comes in and does is he begins speaking to the situation that are in and recognizing that the situation you're in is real. And I get it. I'm tired too. I'm, I'm tired of just this constant battle. I think it's time that we just do something about that and, and end this once and for all. Now, I want you to notice he didn't come, guys, we've been fighting so long. We're all going to move the island of England over to America or Canada. So we go to Canada and we'll just move the island and everybody's getting on a boat because I just really care a lot about you. So I'm going to get you out of the situation you're in. You know, we've got to st- stop and take a look. The Bible says that whatever you're tempted with, he will make a way of escape. You know, and through, I went through all the scriptures. You know what his escapes have always been? Through the thing. I've never saw, saw the retreat path. We look at escape, God, get me out. If I don't have to deal with this, I've escaped. He doesn't do that because it will come back again to haunt you. You've never dealt with what's in your heart. But what he does is he takes you in it because he wants you to beat it. Because once it's beaten, now you're a testimony to something else. But he gives something inside your heart, which we're going to talk about this morning, that changes that whole perspective. Because if I just tell you, hey, you need to just stand up and face that thing and move on, you're not going to do it. So I'm not talking about you getting your own willpower to do it. That's why there's an element that was given to us in order to deal with this from a different perspective. There are some tough-minded people. I've met them. And they do some amazing things. Like, how did you have the courage to do that? The reason I enjoy watching the Premier League and international soccer is not because of soccer, even though I like that. What I like watching is the managers, because their system is completely different than what our system is like. See, in our system of sports, if you're the worst team, you just stay at the bottom, and then you get a better draft pick the next year, right? So really, if you're not going to hit in the top four, you might as well just bomb the whole deal, right, and have fans keep paying, but you're gonna, you'll come back right later. And it's interesting that we're the nation of the free. We believe in this system that we need to purge and we need to grow, except when it comes to sports. Yet the world that we call socialist out there that doesn't want any losers, man, when they come to sports, that's a whole different ballgame. So they have three systems. They got the third league, the middle league, and the premier league. If you're in the bottom three, you go down to the next league. That cost your team $43 million in television contracts. Just a thought. Your average operating expense for a team is $110 million. Now, you've got to have to buy players. And if you don't have players, you're not going to move up. In order to have players, you've got to have a team that has a potential to win. And if you're not winning, you're not making money. If you're not making money, you're going to fold. Okay? So just a perspective. So this team is at the bottom of the list. So I like watching the team I want to go to the top, and then I like to watch at the bottom. Because the fight at the bottom is as fun as the fight at the top. So there's one team at the bottom, at the very bottom, and it was there five, within the last five games, actually the last seven games of the Premier League. They play 38 games, so 31 have gone by, and they've lost. Now, how courageous do you ever become when you lose? At some point, confidence is gone. And when confidence is gone, I can tell you anything. You just, okay, sounds great. Then we just want to go watch a movie because at least we can enjoy someone else's confidence because when it's gone in you, it's gone. So this manager was brought in midway through the season and say, you need to save us. Now, the thing is, is he's had experience doing this before. 
But the team puts out their earnings report in March that they are $110 million is their operating expense. They're going to lose $7.5 million and they owe $35 million. And if they get relegated or dropped out of the league, it's a $40 million cost. This manager gets in, his name is Gus Poyet, and he gets the news, he's trying to do something, and then they lose their next game. So now they got six games that they have to win four. Actually, they go down to five games. They have to win four of their next five or they're gone. And the teams that they get to play are the top teams in the league fighting for the championship league at home. So they got to go to their stadium with a bunch of angry fans that want their team to win and you have to fight against that and you haven't won anything. When this man took over and it was, he goes, we're going to need a miracle. His interview, a five-to-one loss, he goes, what do you think is going to happen? He goes, and managers don't ever say this. He says, it, we're going to need a miracle. Because the way it looks, it, it's just never going to happen. Because only one team in the history of the Premier League has ever done this. But he's had confidence because he's done this before. So he pulls his team together and he describes the situation. There is no hope in the natural for to pull this off. So here's what we're going to do. They tied the next game. Or actually, they lost the next game. That didn't help. Now they're down to four out of five games. And then they tie. The top team. Then they win. Then they win. Then they win. With a game to spare, they moved to 14th position, something that's never been done in the history of Premier League. Why? Because this man had gone through that before in a previous league of pulling something out of the bottom and he discovered something. And when you listen to how he talked to his players, he didn't say, you guys are going to do this because this is my neck on the line. He took all responsibility. The, the media tried to get him to blame somebody. He said, I'm the manager. I took the job. It's on me. Period. He took all of it and he carried all the weight of it and freed his players and he began believing him. And when you hear the interviews of how he treated his players, he told them what they were. And all he did was have them do what they, were, what they could do. And it turned the whole thing around. Now I say all that because those are natural situations. I love that stuff. But what about the, everybody? If we have the greatest spirit living on the inside of us, these are non-believing people that discover principles of courage and principles of life and operate in them, yet we have the greatest thing ever, and we're still wondering, what can I do? What about tomorrow? How am I going to face this? How am I going to deal with that? So Montgomery, he goes on, and he tells the men, we can do this. We can do it. No doubt about that. No, about, no doubt about that whatsoever. The well-trained British soldier will beat the German every time. We saw it in Africa. We chased him into the Sea of Tunisia. Then we went over to Sicily and we chased him into the sea again. I don't know if there are any more seas. To us is given the honor of striking a blow for freedom, which will live in history and in better days that lie ahead. Men will speak with pride of our doings. Let us go forward into victory. Now this meant something. The football game kind of meant something. This means something. This is a nation at risk. But you know what? Whatever you're in, it's that important to you. Correct? Yeah. So it doesn't matter what you're in. Whatever you're in, 
that you want to see change, whatever you're in that you know it's not sitting right, but I want to be on the other side, it means something to you. That's your war. So what, what the general is doing is the first thing is he acknowledged the situation. He took, told them what he thought of these men. Then he began reminding them of the victory. Do you remember when we did this? Do you remember when we did this? Do you remember when we did this? Why? He's reestablishing confidence. Because if we've done it before, we can do it again. And if we've done it before, we can do it again. We had confidence here. Remember, we beat them here. We beat them here. We beat them here. And all of a sudden, the reminder, what's our focus now on? What we've had victory in, not what we've been defeated in. So what's he doing is he's lifting the morale to get their mind on what they have won, not what they have lost. And then he's made it eternal. What we do today will go down in history, and men will talk about our doings. Today, we celebrate their doings. Why? Because deep in our heart, that's what we're longing for, because we were created not to be overcome, but to overcome. We were never created as slaves. That wasn't our original intent. And deep in our hearts, even before we were born again, inside we know something is wrong with that seating that I'm always under. Something sits that isn't right about that. We either accept it, we acknowledge it, we try to deal with it, but inside there's a craving that knows that isn't what we are. There's something more. So God comes in and meets that. But then when he meets that, he changes us. But then sometimes we start looking at the Bible going, okay, here's my roadmap to victory. And we try to read it as a fallen person trying to understand. See, the Bible written to a fallen person has a whole different dimension than a Bible written to a born-again believer. When you read this, not you as in you, in general, when someone reads this that is not a believer, and I read that verse in Revelation, does that bring you much hope? That's really scary, actually. So I'm going to spend all my time either rebutting it, accepting it, dealing with it, being mad about it, protesting it, doing something, trying to cut it out. But what if? That's not what God's saying to you. What if he's just telling you, you're not that? That's not what you are. I know, but I, I lied to, okay, I went into the store and I told him I could get a better deal on the TV at this store, and so I told him I lied to the deal to get a better deal on the TV. I'm a liar. See? And then, then sometimes as ministers, we have put on you each one of those things. See, you're a liar. You need to get your heart right. we got the altar open, right? You need to deal with all that. Now, I'm not here to say acknowledging what's going on, but here's the deal. When Jesus sacrificed for us, was it a greater sacrifice than what in the Old Testament the sacrifice was? Okay, ponder for a moment. They only had to do that once a year. We're doing it constantly. And we have the greater sacrifice. Something's wrong. It's not my message. So then, God knows your heart. He born, he, you're born again, correct? He gives you a new heart, correct? And it's from your heart is where courage sits. Now, if we know in the natural world, courage arises for the love of someone else without self-interest. I love the story. 
there is this soldier, this lieutenant, and he is in this foxhole, and this other, this other soldier, he's just, he's just shaking, he's, he can't sleep, he's been sleep-deprived, he's afraid, he just, the fear is just consuming him, and he cannot move forward, and, and he's, he's fearful, and all of a sudden he gets put in this foxhole, and he's, he's shaking, or, or actually they walk by this foxhole, and there's this man just sound asleep in the foxhole. Battles are going off, and this guy just, they wake him up. Because you don't want anybody else to be sleeping when you're in the middle of a tor- torment. They wake up, how can you sleep? He said, when you accept that you're already dead, it makes the battle a whole lot easier. He was not suicidal. He was not quitting. He recognized that as a soldier, his life was now a part of something else, and that self-preservation no longer had to be there. That's rest. When we talk about rest, what did Jesus say? You're no longer alive to this man, but you've died with him over here, and you're now alive with him over here. That means dying to the self-preservation of this old individual over to this life with this new individual. Now is it easy for courage to function? Because you're no longer considering yourself. Because the soldier is cared for by the army. Now, that isn't always helpful for you soldiers, but in, in God's kingdom, he is cared for by the other man next to him because you're no longer fighting for yourself, but now you're fighting for the guy that's next to you. There's something different taking place. And again, these are all just natural things. These are things that take place without God. Yet in our heart, we crave it, but then there becomes a gap. There becomes a miss, this element. So now if in Christianity... I thought it was supposed to be better than that. I I thought something was different. Would you agree? So Romans chapter 5, 1 through 6. See, I want to leave you to this point where you're just like, yes, there's just got to be something more. And if I I do that to you the rest of the service and we close on the point, you'll, you'll, you'll like it. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Is that not a fabulous scripture? Does that not not explain that you've already been justified? Does it not explain that your heart's already clean? Because you're justified. Does it not explain that you're seated in His grace? That our faith in what He has done for us has set us free. It's made us at peace. The glory we received is the same glory He has. So we are glorifying Him by accepting what He's done. Correct? Man, hallelujah. We we love that. That is just so awesome. And the next verse is even more exciting. And not only that, it says. I know you're going to get excited about this. The next verse. And not only that. But we also glory in tribulations. We don't glory and tribulate. Glory does not mean having a praise celebration. Glory means he is glorified in me in tribulation. You shove me in tribulation, that same glory is still going to shine. The real person who I am is going to shine in the midst of the tribulation. Because I can't show you the greatness of an athlete by keeping him on a practice field and never sticking him in the, in the game. You don't learn anything by the practice. You learn things from the practice field, but it's not until you're in the middle of conflict or the middle where you are being challenged by someone else who wants that same thing that you discover what you really are. 
So when he puts you into, tri- when, okay, let me just correct. He doesn't put you in tribulation. Tribulation is existing all around us, okay? He's not having to create some master plan. Let's create this tribulation. That will help them through. We know he doesn't do that, so we're settled there, right? He's not the author of it. He's not tempting you. He's not doing that. He recognizes you were born in a world that's at conflict, and I want you to rise. So now that I have given you my grace, established who you are, I've spoken to you hard, now I'm going to place you and into the conflict... Because you're going to win. Because that's my rest. If you're hiding from the conflict, you're always hiding from the conflict. That's fear. If I can put you into the conflict, I believe in you. And if I believe in you, that means you believe in me, I believe in you, and now this conflict, we're taking this a whole different course. He doesn't love you by keeping you from who you really are. You're just not good enough. I know I made you in my image, but you're just not it. The devil's bigger. Ask a player when the coach doesn't put him in. Coach, am I just no good? What's my problem? Do you just not like me? Why don't I ever get to play? What's the problem? What's wrong with me, coach, that I don't get to go in the game? What's wrong with me? See, deep down we won in the game, we just don't have any confidence we'll win because we've lost and we've lost and we lost and we lost and we lost, so we don't want to go in and feel that again, but deep down we want to get back in, except this time we just want to mm, deal with it. So he says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance. Now, This is not written to a fallen person trying to get right. This is written to a son and daughter of the king revealing what he thinks of you. So you've got to change how you're reading this stuff because it's going to warp how you're thinking. You're not the broken trying to get well. He calls those things that be not as though they were, so he declares what you are before he sends you in. So he doesn't send you into battle unless he's already declared you fit to do the battle. Correct? So the battle isn't going to make you fit. Let me just tell you, if you're not fit before the game, you're not going to be fit in the game. This is courage. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance or endurance. Oh, God, there's that word of patience and endurance. Man, we've made misery of that word. You know what's restful? is to walk through something that's against you and not be moved by it. That's restful. Ask a pillar holding up a bridge. It's not stressing out. You didn't see it shake. You didn't see it cry out and ooze whatever a cement pillar would ooze. <laughs> Help me. It's built to withstand the, the, the weight of the bridge. It's just at rest. Right? It's not moving. It's not running. Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance character. And character hope. Character. We don't need a class on character. You already know what you're not supposed to be doing. But what are we supposed to do? How do we live from that? See, when you're in endurance and now all of a sudden you're at rest, how do you treat people? You understand where they're at. There's a, there's a slowness to it. There's, it's when you're feeling, is when you're usually lashing out. Valerie doesn't experience it hardly ever. But when she feels that, it's usually because I'm feeling unshaky. So my response is, you know, lovingly not right sometimes because of me. But when I'm secured, 
when I'm stable, even in the problem, I can, I'm, my tone's different. My, I, I have a different way of dealing with that, correct? That's character. It wants to be there. Because you know what? You were created in his image. So character's already there. The murderer murders. The idolater looks for idols. The sons of God live like sons of God. So when you're in that, this, these things start emerging. So then he goes on to say, perseverance, character, character, hope. Where does hope come from? Hope is when I've seen this before. Something emerges when you're hopeful. Oh, it changes all the dynamics. Doesn't make the problem go away, but when hope comes up, the enemy gets very afraid because somehow you will start attaching and living out that hope. And then hope starts coming. And guess what? Then you have the victory. And when the victory happens, now it's like, oh, I know what to do in this, and now you can help someone walk through. But guess what? You're not thinking of yourself in any of this. You died. The only time it becomes frustrating in that is when you remember yourself or what you were. Not what you are. When you remember what you were. Then he says this, now hope does not disappoint. Why? Why does hope not disappoint? Because the love of God has been poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has given, was given to us. The Holy Spirit's role is to comfort. He's called the comforter. He's the helper. To a soldier, a comforter has a different role than to a mom and their new baby. There's a different kind of comfort. But it's still the same type of thing. A mom will pick the baby up, walk around, bringing calmness to the baby. But you're not stopping the baby from growing. You're, because the baby is growing, feeding and different things are going on in his life or her life, you're, you're comforting because you're helping the baby grow and deal with all of this stuff that's growing on the inside of them. So the word comforter or the word encourage, let me start with that, means, the word encourage is parakaleo. That's my little Greek for the day, parakaleo. We have a parakeet that is not a parakaleo. Parakaleo, it actually comes from two words, para and kaleo. Para means to be at besides, to be near, to stand alongside, right? To walk with, that's para. Kaleo means to call, to give a name to, to call out, to speak to the identity of an individual. That's encourage. So when I encourage you, just like the, the general did, is he declared, this is what you are. So the Holy Spirit is also known as the encourager, the comforter, the helper. So what is the paraclete or paracleos role to do? He comes alongside you and gives you the speech. I'm going to tell you who you are. I understand completely where you're standing because I'm not going to look at you. I'm going to stand with you right where you're at and look at the same problem. But let me remind you of who you are. And he calls you individually by name. And he says, this is who you are. This is who I've seen. This is who I've called. Remember what I put in your heart before? Do you remember this? Then he starts recalling the victories. Do you remember when we did this? And sometimes you don't even remember the victories. And all of a sudden things start coming to mind. Hey, this happened before. And you think you just had this epiphany. But see, we've lost sight of who the Holy Spirit was and what his role was. His role was to encourage and comfort in the time when Jesus no longer was there to do the personal comfort. 
So when you make a mistake, what does he do? He comes alongside and speaks the same thing to you. He recognizes the problem. That means he cares exactly where you're sitting. And then he begins speaking to who you are. Then he begins encouraging you in the victories that have already been done. And he begins giving you insight of what's going to happen when you win. And hope starts coming. And all of a sudden this hope, this picture of your future starts coming in your head. And faith starts coming. And what's your mind now set on? That's what the Holy Spirit's job. So now think about what all the gifts of the Spirit actually do. They're designed to bring encouragement, the same Spirit, into other people that are already operating on the inside of you. See, sometimes I understand where we got that, but we've made the Spirit so timid that we can disrupt Him. I don't need Him when it's all peaceful. I need Him in the midst of the most catastrophic things going on in your life for him to do his role of speaking to my heart and connecting me with the words of the Father, revealing again who I am, because he goes on to say this. John, John chapter 14, 26 through 27 says, and I'm done here, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will bring, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives to you, let you, not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. In other words, I'm going to send someone to you that your heart will no longer be twisted in this fear. And I love this. He says in Romans 8, 15, and 16, for all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful as slaves. Instead, you receive God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father, for His... Listen to this. This is the role of the Spirit. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we're God's children. Why? Because in the midst of everything you're going on, when your identity can be confirmed, verified with the advocate, with the legal attorney to declare this is what you are, out of you can begin flowing what you really are. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're encouraged. One more thought, since you love military so much. Sun Tzu wrote a book called The Art of War. It's been used for all the military academies. It's one of the most brilliant understandings of the psychology of warfare. And he says this, when the general regards his troops as young children, they will advance with him in the deepest valleys with him. When he regards his troops as beloved children, they will be willing to die with him. You see, we live in a world that is fallen. And we live in a world where there's things around us. And it says in 1 John, he says, those that believe in him become sons of God. And who is he that overcomes? But he that who believes that Jesus is the son of God. So in other words, we have already been established into a place of all the victory and confidence because he is watching out for us. And when we become settled in who we are, he is watching out for us. We can now step forward courageously on behalf of other people and enjoy the life that was created for us. Because when you give of your life towards someone else, knowing you're secured, and you see the fruit of all of that, that's when Jesus said, I'm no longer hungry and thirsty. My, will is, my meat is to do the will of the Father. That's why courage is so important in our day and age.